With 25% off all new and up to 70% off previously leased furnishings, do you really need a better reason to party? We don't think so. Come visit our new Court Furniture Clearance Center with more than 9,000 square feet of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home and office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. Free food, prizes, and fun all weekend long at our Chandelier Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Welcome to the Monkeys Fighting Robots podcast with Matthew Sardo. Take your sticky paws off me, you damn dirty ass. <laughs> Holy sh! They're actually monkeys fighting robots! You can follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots and on Instagram at monkeys fighting robots. Make sure to download and review our podcast from iTunes and Stitcher. And now, here's your host, Matt. Welcome to the 73rd episode of Monkeys Fighting Robots. Today is going to be an exciting show. EJ and I are going to talk about Captain America Civil War. Oh my God, so exciting. I'm your host, Matthew Sardo. I'm also the co-founder of MonkeysFightingRobots.com. Joining me in the banter is my co-host, movie critic EJ Marino. EJ, how are you doing today? I'm still trying to recover from our ridiculous week of pop culture. We had great Game of Thrones, great Flash, and then I got to see probably going to be my most interesting movie to talk about all year, Civil War. As much as I didn't like it, it's still awesome to talk about. Before we get into Civil War, we do need to talk about a few TV shows that were on television this past week. Game of Thrones, oh my god, so good. They got past that first hump of an episode, and then... Everything went crazy, and we got what we wanted. I'm so glad that Jon Snow is back. Spoiler, guess what? He's back, and now he's... I don't know what he is. Yeah, I, I'm pretty curious with the Jon Snow thing. I thought they were going to keep him dead a little bit longer, and maybe he'd become a White Walker so he can still kind of be on the show. And we got this magical comeback that we all kind of expected. I honestly think the second episode was far better than the first one. It's rare that it actually happens in TV, but it happened, and I loved this new episode of Game of Thrones. Ridiculous. I think a tear came to my eye when Peter Dinklage released the dragons and talked about his boyhood story of wanting a dragon and not getting one and then him telling his dad, like, you can give me a tiny dragon. Oh, my God. So good. Uh, beautiful. He's such a flawless actor, and I, I love seeing him be funny, like the scene right before it when he was like, I drink and I know things. Those are the two things I do, and I'm like, a great teary in Peter Dinklage line. And then he completely just overshadows that with his amazing like speech with the, with about the dragons. Loved it so much. And I kind of question, is he related to Daenerys or has that like that Targaryen blood? Cause those dragons accepted him quickly and he's been obsessed with them obviously forever. It seems like this is where the show takes a completely different direction for me. There is that little boyhood innocence that Tyrion has because he's been abused his whole life and he's created this rough exterior where he you know has sex with women and drinks all the time but at, at the heart he just wants to be loved by his family and he's been rejected his whole life I think that's something that the dragons could feel and this kind of like what they were they kind of feel that outcast feeling so yeah I definitely see that but I think there's something up with him I really think he might not be a Lannister at all because he was too connected with those dragons. Uh, so good. So much to talk about from that episode. 
Oh man, he, if he's the dragon master, I'd be like, holy shit. Like from what I know a little bit about the books, there's supposed to be like three random people who are like in mythological senses are supposed to rule. And everyone's always thought it was going to be Tyrion, Daenerys, and Jon Snow. And okay. what a trio to run dragons and run that whole world would be those three. Another great episode sort of this week was The Flash. EJ, what'd you think? I like The Flash. I think they're kind of stuck in a filler zone right now where we're trying to get to the finale, but still give decent episodes. And yeah, I think it was it was okay. It's Zoom's awesome. So getting to see Zoom as a character evolve, getting to finally see Barry and Iris talk about their love that they've been needing to talk about was awesome. But then, of course, something crazy happens. So that's not going to happen anytime soon. For me, it's going it's it's venturing into Smallville territory of kitsch and cheapness mm-hmm. where they're like, OK, we only have a certain amount of people on this staff or in our show. So how can we make an alternate reality version of them? And it feels small to where they were in this giant expanse to begin with. And now they're going like we ran out of money at the end of the season and we need to be small with our special effects and in our characters and our writing I'm done with Zoom. I'm done with Barry not having powers. Like it's I thought they were going to go in the Flash Paradox Flashpoint Paradox zone with how he was going to get his powers back and what was going on, but they kind of like went in a different direction and then he exploded and now Wally and Jesse are probably going to have powers and everybody's going to be a speedster. I for being season one being so amazing, now they're they're jumping the shark, giving everybody powers in season two where they have plenty of time to kind of talk about this. And I feel like they're they're rushing way faster than they needed to. Yeah, I think they realize comic people are starting to connect like the Jesse Quick and the Wally West and are getting hungry to figure out when that's going to happen. So they started to do it early. And I think we could have expanded that. I think that could have been all of what season three was, was the idea of having multiple speedsters that are good guys. And now we're going to have to see it at the end of season two. I don't I don't particularly love it that much, but at least I get to see Wally. I love the guy who's playing Wally. I kind of am interested to see what he's going to do as a speedster. And I wonder when that's going to happen. I don't know if they're going to evolve anytime soon, because look how long it took Barry to get to the point he was. It took him almost all of season one to get decent. And I think it's going to take a little bit for Jesse and Wally. So it might be good to see them evolve. I'm, I'm curious which is a good feeling that the show keeps doing. It keeps me interested as much as I'm like not loving the episodes as much. I'm still intrigued. You don't have to build this giant audience of speedsters. I I think you can like give hints to it and then maybe eventually build up to it later on. But I don't understand the, the rush to get there so quickly. The whole, that was a a good pun right there. Uh Yeah. The rush to get there so quickly. I'm kind of disappointed because the first season, they they fought a speedster. The second season, they're fighting a, a bigger speedster. Now, third season, what they're out of speedsters is I don't I don't know. It's, it's that's I, I as much as I love the show, they're kind of starting to write themselves in a in a corner. Well, yeah, that's why I hope season three. I've always wanted this to be a bigger villain. I hope Grodd ends up coming with his guerrilla army. So if he would be a season three villain, it would be it would be a, a break from speedsters. And it would give us a pretty cool, intelligent villain, but that would run up their special effects budget very fast. The Flash has a great rogue gallery. That They actually call it the rogue gallery. Yeah. You know, and that was a problem with making Captain Cold like an anti-hero, which he mm-hmm. is, but they built up to that. Like, he started off just being a villain, and then I'm like, eh, 
six episodes in, you're kind of an anti-hero. It's fine. The television universe and, and DC is moving too quickly where I think they just need to pace themselves. And I under, if they get canceled, they get canceled, but at least they're staying true to themselves. Yeah, they're, they're not staying true to how it should be structured, but it's, it's TV. It has to be handled a little different. So it kind of goes with the whole you have too much baggage towards comic book related material. No, I, I think I have too much baggage towards good writing. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, yeah. That, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> Fear the Walking Dead was on Sunday as well. I really enjoyed the episode. Big reveal kind of sort of on Strand. Yeah, um, out of, I kind of said in the first podcast, I thought he was going to have some Mexican wife or something connection, and then it turns out Strand's gay, which is such a cool thing because... I don't think the the original Walking Dead is handled like gay characters very well. And to make someone as bad as a strand gay, I think that's so it's it's such a good evolution for TV and it's such a good evolution for those characters. And I think that's going that was such a big thing for me. I didn't love the episode as much as like the the first two, but that reveal kind of just it made me happy. I I liked seeing it. They set up the villain, they set up the arc for the series. You kind of know the direction now for the next few episodes, where they're going to go, how it's going to go. So I thought this was a good episode to just structuralize the season. Yeah, it needed to happen. Um, as much as I, like I said, I didn't love it as much as the other ones. It needed to happen so we can have a point of to jump off of now. So it was a good turning point. It was a good launching pad of everything that's going to be happening later on. So yeah, I liked it. Just, it was okay. It was, uh, it's kind of how I feel about The Flash. We kind of hit a filler where it was a good, like, good establishing, but just I'm, I'm more excited for what's going to happen after this episode. Yeah, I don't want I don't want to spend too much time going back to the Flash, but you're like this episode was a was a filler episode, yet they exploded him at the end of it. So this See, major epic episode is kind of just filler. Eh. Flash has done that a lot though. They'll have like a pretty weak episode, and then their last five minutes is something ridiculously epic. To lead us off to another good episode. So it's a, it is a filler episode, but they always do this like awesome cliffhanger to get you to another one. Before we turn your ears towards the conversation of Captain America Civil War, we do have to take care of some business. I am super excited to announce that we relaunched the website this week. Monkey Spreading Robots 2.0 is live. We made it easier for you to find the great content that you love. The layout is so awesome. There's so many cool changes. Like it's not a complete overhaul where it doesn't feel like the same website, but it, it's it's like shiny. It's newer. It's it's great. It is the 2.0 you were saying. I love how reviews are structured now. I think. Uh, the animation for like when like the little bar goes up to like the one out of ten, how you can add the good and the bad. It's awesome. I love the new changes. I hope I hope everyone else likes them as well. It's the evolution of the internet and moving towards a mobile device. It's mobile friendly. It does lots of cool things. There's a lot of back end work that we put into it that I will not explain to you, but it was a lot of fun building this new website. I hope you guys enjoy it. Check it out. Monkey Spreading Robots 2.0 is live. I going to enjoy this car for as long as it'll last and then i will build a better car that's my tony stark ism of just building new iron mans i like that i like that also later on this month it's coming it's coming megacon is coming and we will be there may 26th to the 29th we're gonna have some exclusive print 
I'm very, I'm very excited to reveal that to you guys soon. We're going to have a contest. We're going to go crazy with the cosplayers. We're going to do video. We're going to do photo. We're going to do live broadcasts from our booth. So check us out. Follow us on social media, Twitter or Facebook. That's where we're going to make all our announcements for Megacon, where our booth is, where we're located, when the live broadcasts go live. That's going to be great. And if you come to see us at Megacon, you want to wear the same stuff that we're wearing. And I just ordered myself tons of t-shirts to wear this weekend from Redbubble. So if you go to our website, look for the Monkey Spider Robot swag, grab yourself a t-shirt to wear to Megacon, come to our booth, and I'll give you whatever I got for free. You're going to get it because you're wearing our t-shirt. So go buy a t-shirt, come to our booth, get something for free. Okay, party people in the house. Now that the business is done, let's get to our review of Captain America Civil War, Iron Man versus Captain America, the Russo brothers. So many heroes, so many... No, there's no villains. All heroes, lots of heroes, so many heroes fighting each other. In A lot of heroes all that no stuff. villains. <laughs> no villains. I enjoyed the film. You did not enjoy the film. Do you want to talk about why you didn't enjoy the film first? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, usually, I don't love Marvel movies. I liked some of Guardians of the Galaxy, and I loved Winter Soldier. I think those are probably the two most extreme different cases in, within which Guardians of the Galaxy kind of falls into uh, Marvel territory still. But So, yeah, I, I kind of knew I wasn't going to love this one, and I didn't hate it as much as I thought I would because they had that really awesome airport fight scene, which lasted forever. But before that, they did establish some decent kind of story. Um, but no, yeah, I just, it just it has all the tropes I don't like about Marvel movies. It has really out of place comedy. It had no good villains and a lot of Tony Stark, <laughs> a lot of Tony Stark. So definitely, yeah, there's there's way more into it once we get into like a back and forth. But there was just a lot of changes from the comic book that I didn't enjoy, which I knew it wasn't going to stay to source material. They never do, but. That, that comic is so awesome and so influential, and they just took the good out and didn't put anything new that I would have liked to see in. The fight scene at the airport is everything and more that you hope for. And it, I, Giant Man was all I was waiting for, and I got Giant Man. Spider-Man had a great presence in it. I love the back and forth. That's, that's a Brian Michael Bendis writing issue that whole banter back and forth. That's what he brought to the comic book industry when he started writing the new Avengers and the Avengers and he wrote secret invasion and, and, and built it up into the, the, the Avengers that we know now. So that back and forth has always been in there and that's what I've read. So I'm kind of used to it. So it doesn't bother me that much. What I'm so glad there wasn't was a side character that had no superpowers that was making the dumb jokes. That's usually what you get in a Marvel film. No, absolutely. And it, I think it works for people like a Tony Stark who's kind of sarcastic and it works totally for Spider-Man. And it was amazing to see him do his little one-liners and his dialogue. Loved that. But I don't think people like Captain and Black Widow and Hawkeye need to be doing corny jokes in between fight scenes. And I just and thankfully, yeah, there wasn't a, like an out of place person. We didn't have like Sharon Carter making like puns and jokes. It was just. Or two just, broke girls in the corner just laughing. Yeah, basically. We did get um, the principal from Community making some good jokes, but uh, that's kind of it. And 
Yeah, so I, I, my favorite, one of my favorite moments was they, they kind of talked about how much I don't like this, where uh, Hawkeye was about to meet, right. he's about to fight Black Panther for the first time, and he's like, oh, we haven't met, and Black Panther's like, yeah, I don't care. And it was one of those first times that one of those characters was like, yeah, I don't want to do this. I don't want to talk and banter. We're going to fight. But is that the Russo brothers setting it up community style where you have you have 10 jokes in a row and then there's the straight guys like, yeah, I'm, I'm done with you guys. Like that's that could be that's the joke. Oh, yeah, that is kind of the joke. I just don't like the joke. Ah, uh, man. It's so, so tough. And, and- I, I know. And I try not to be this tough about these movies because they're, they're, they're like I said at my review, they're nicely made movies. They make good money and people love them. So I don't, I'm not saying it is a bad movie. And I think that's a big thing. A lot of reviewers are like, well, this movie's bad because I didn't like it. It's not bad. I just didn't like it. Our other movie critic, King Felix, and I had a long conversation in the parking lot after the film about superhero films and what they're supposed to do, what they're supposed to achieve. We're in this grittier, darker era. And Civil War came out during the George Bush era presidency and that was a result of that and then we hit the obama era and they got rid of the registration act marvel was definitely full-blown for obama anti-bush and they made it known and that was what where civil war came out of mark millar who wrote the original civil war is not from this country so he has a certain amount of american bias but it's fine he takes our money and then goes to a different country and does what he needs to do i get it i understand it not everybody's gonna like america Got it. This well, movie. Oh, did, would you like to comment on that? No, no, no. I was just going to say, I don't think like, I, I like that outsider perspective because we do get a lot of American things where it's an American mindset and to do an outsider's perspective isn't the, the it is very biased, but it, it's interesting to see. So yeah, I, I like that he, you know, he makes his money banks here and then it's like, thank you. I don't have to see you Americans again. Right. No, I'm, I've met the guy. I have hung out with him, wizard world, Chicago and got drinks with him. Super nice guy. But when you're a writer, you're trying to go for that controversial edge. I mean, and that's what that's a, that's what he loves to do himself. He wrote American Jesus. He's he's tried to push as many buttons as possible with the pop culture community and see what works and what doesn't work. And luckily, he's done amazing stuff. I have no I have no qualms about it. But again, Civil War was something that happened. 10 years ago, it was a time period piece. And now you bring it to this time period where we're really even more fractured as a society. And I thought that we would actually come together when Obama came to office. But what has happened is we've become more fractured. And this film kind of handles that fracturement of like good, bad, in between. And what I'm looking for in a superhero film is something that brings us together and inspires us to be great or inspires us to be a hero. And I still haven't really gotten that film from Marvel yet. No, I don't think they're a very like inspirational people. It's a, I kind of thought this wouldn't be the movie that they would try to do something very smart and very relevant. It, I just thought it was going to be a superhero fight fest. I thought this political mindset was going to be in a Batman v Superman because they want to be more adult, more dark or more darker, more gritty, more serious. And they tried to balance 
that uh, that serious political tone with the Marvel humor in this. And I don't think it worked as well as it did in like something like Winter Soldier. The whole overtone of like registration and then the countries coming together. I think it doesn't train where it, where it kind of loses is when it goes global. If it was more set in the United States, but then Marvel can do it because they've already gone overseas and blown up shit and all this other stuff where, again, if you're planning this out, this giant MCU universe, maybe you fix those flaws before you get the civil war. Oh yeah. I think the only reason they made it a global national level and have the UN in it is because they can influence something like Wakanda in it. And that's why the black Panther got involved. And I think that was probably the easiest ways to make this a global threat, because if this was an American problem, T'Challa would not have showed up and cared at all. And you could have you could have killed somebody, could have killed some Wakandans on American soil. See, and I've always thought, um, I don't know how much spoiler we can get into, but I always thought Bucky was going to end up killing Chitaka like a before. It was one of those uh, one of Winter Soldier's missions. And that's why uh, he has problems with him. And that's what was going to be Black Panther's influence. But that really didn't happen. And like, I know kind of Bucky had something to do or something not to do. It's kind of, to, you know, in the movie to debate if once people see it. But yeah, I just I thought we were going to have Black Panther there in a different way. And I felt the UN thing was kind of the most forced way to do it. Uh... But I, I liked seeing it on a global level. I thought they did do a lot in, um they did do a lot to other countries, not just what they did in New York. So it was interesting that they, they got to talk about that and didn't just kind of brush that under the rug. This Avengers movie, they blow up Germany. You know, now now you just basically, they're like, okay, we look at a map, and we're like, what country haven't we blown up yet with the Avengers? I like how you called it an Avengers movie, but it's still supposed to be a Captain movie. Which no, was- no. It, it, once, the, once they decided that it was Captain America Civil War, that's a that's an Avengers film. You know, when you have, you have more Avengers in this film than you have in the other Avengers films, you have to call it an Avengers film. And I agree, but that's why I was kind of hoping we wouldn't have to uh, focus so much as we did on stuff like The Vision and Scarlet Witch. We could have saved a lot of the uh, the extra scenes for a different movie where we could have focused far more on Tony. Because they kind of, I don't remember a lot of the other MCU where he had this whole weight of his mother and father dying. And they kind of shoehorned that in into this movie to then end up doing a big plot twist at the end. And I was just like, if we would have spent a little bit more time of him grieving his mother and father in this movie, I would have I would have actually liked his whole plot and his whole story and his whole arc way more. But no, we spent time with people like Hawkeye and Vision and Scarlet Witch where this isn't their movie. They have nothing to do with the core story. Why are they here? I did feel it became an Avengers movie more than a Captain movie, which is probably one of my biggest problems with it and probably why I didn't like it. One... Scarlet Witch and the Vision have kids, so you need to build that story up. Well, yeah, but the way this movie was working, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, which I would love them to do their relationship like they have in the comic books because they are these two outcast freaks, and it would be perfect. I love their like their storyline together. I just felt like they could have built that in a different movie. And then, two, those kids are fake, and then she freaks out and blows up the world and kills Isn't the that Vision. Like M-Day? Is it M-Day? No, Avengers Avengers, Avengers disassemble is is where she kills Hawkeye and blows up the vision and all that fun stuff. And that's what leads into Brian Michael Bendis' run on new Avengers because they all fall apart. And then, you know, Captain America brings them together. And that's where they introduce Luke Cage and Spider-Man and Wolverine join the Avengers. And it's kind of like this mega team that starts outselling X-Men books. 
So we talked about the vision. We talked about Scarlet Witch. I like that kind of stuff because I know that there's a story in there that they're, they might tease to. Going back to what you said about Tony Stark and his family dying and him having this like Bruce Wayne guilt of his parents dying, that was odd. I, I, I definitely thought that the way they wrote Tony Stark in this this film, he was kind of not anti, he was kind of anti Tony Stark, which was, it just fell off. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I They wanted to start building it. I, I can see where they were trying to do it with last movie, where he was starting to feel bad and he did start to notice. But they didn't give it enough sadness at the end of that movie to then get him to the place where he was in this movie. Yeah, I, I just thought it was a, it was very weird for them to try to completely shift his character. And then I don't think it worked as well. It's like as much as I don't like what Tony Stark is, I've always wanted Tony Stark to have this uh this opposite. that's what I like Batman so much, is he is just that that playboy and that moneymaker because he likes to do that public image because he wants to keep his craziness and his Batman side thing where Tony's so open and he's very, uh, he puts everything on the sleeve where I want him to have this darker side. And then I got it and I'm like, maybe I don't want this. Cause I just thought it was weak. I just, it just had no reason to be there. And I think he could have just done it with, look, we need to be militarized. We have done a lot of shit. And yeah, they just, they, they did a lot to change him without it having any impact. And that's the biggest thing with the Marvel movies is that I, I feel like nothing has impact in the universe. There is no, there's never a point in time where I'm worried about anybody's safety or anybody's life or what's going on. With a Josh Whedon film, you know that he's always going to kill somebody. That's, that's his, that his token move is like, I'm going to take somebody that you're not going to think I'm going to kill and I'm going to kill him off. Boom, done. He did it with both Avengers films. And Civil War is the film that you thought would have the most casualties, and there are none. Well, there's one, but it's 95 million-year-old Peggy Carter, and I'm like, okay, I don't care. Like, great, you know, she has this good pass with Captain, but who cares? Like, they literally wasted so much opportunity. They've killed more people off in a Disney Pixar movie than they have in any Marvel movie. And I think that's kind of odd that like in a genre where superheroes come back the next issue, perfect and new that they won't even do it in a movie. Like I, I didn't even mind Nick Fury dying for two seconds in winter soldier and then coming back later on. I was like, okay, cool. At least someone died and it gave me a moment of impact. This movie needed that so bad. And I got none of it. And I, I just don't understand what Marvel's problem is with, trying to make these movies a little heavier. Not to make them dark, gritty, because everyone hates that comic book movies are more serious, but something to give it a reason to care. Other than, wow, this is a really fun popcorn movie. Oh, this action's really good. Oh, it's kind of funny. No, give me some something else to care about. I know that we'll get bashed for this, but this is definitely a popcorn flick. Oh, 100%. 100% popcorn flick. And my biggest gripe with the MCU universe is they have multiple opportunities to hit a home run cinema wise with dialogue and moments. You have Captain America. Like I'm still waiting for him to give his Braveheart speech. He has never given his Braveheart speech. And that's something that he could do because people are dying or he's trying to save stuff. 
you know, he's always like, oh, I'm this kid from Brooklyn. I've risen up. And I'm like, okay, save that for like a really powerful speech and rally the troops, get excited and go out there. And, and the same thing with that, with that battle at Germany where all the heroes are fighting each other. And then there's a chance for War Machine to die. And they're like, no, he's not going to die. And I'm like, he should have died. And it would have been a powerful film. They're, they're, every film that they've made in the MCU, there's a point in time where killing a character off raises the stakes. And I'm not just saying kill a character off just to kill a character off, but like it raises the stakes in the universe and keeps you guessing about where they're going to go. And they never take that opportunity to do it. The biggest problem for me with the Avengers, the first film is that Colston dies and that should have been the moment where Captain America pushes Nick Fury out of the way and says, listen, this person died. We need to rise up, give your Braveheart speech and, and go rally the troops. But instead, like Nick Fury manipulates them and being like, hey, this guy likes you and you guys are falling apart. You guys need to come together. And it's more of a manipulation to come together than an actual character evolution of putting your biases aside and becoming the Avengers and rising up. Cause that's, that's what the Avengers are. They're the, that team that comes together and handles the shit that nobody else can handle. And they're like, listen, we are going to take care of this. And I don't ever get it in these films. No, not at all. And I, I like you said, these are the people to come together and captain is the one to give this big motivational speech. I would have loved it right when he got all his little team together in this movie and would have been like, look guys, we're going to have to fight people we love. We're going to have to do this. They can't take our lives when they can't take our freedom, blah, blah, blah. It would have been perfect. But no, he. they would much rather do a stupid joke where he kisses a girl and Bucky and Falcon are like, oh, oh, oh you're so cool, bro. No, and I'm like, really? That's it? That's the big moment we want to do before this fight scene? I just, I don't understand their fear of making a more quote-unquote mature movie. You don't, like you said, you don't need to kill people off to just kill them off. Killing someone like a Falcon or a War Machine would have given both sides a reason to hate or question why they're fighting way more. Killing someone like Black Widow, who everyone loves, and that's my favorite character in all of these movies, if you would have killed her off, we would have been like, shit, this, what, this fight we're doing is for no nothing. We're losing good people, we're doing... And it, there's none of that ever. And I just, I'm glad other people are starting to like find these kinks because I've noticed this from the get go and it's what's always turned me off. See, but the problem is we're kind of bashing the film and I'm still saying for me, I'm saying that the film is like an eight, nine out of 10, but it has glaring opportunities to be an amazing film. Like they have all the pieces there to be an epic film that people are like, oh my God, this changes cinema. And then they just don't strive for it. And one of those things is like the villain issue, Zemo at the end, uh, getting captured. If there was like a reflection in the mirror and he was the red skull or a scroll, something that makes it more of a puppet master pushing them around than just having an, an issue with Bucky. If General Ross was more of an evil, manipulative person, like an omnipresence of the government pushing down, or if you saw both sides of the argument where people are like, hey, we love you, Captain America, or hey, we hate you, Tony Stark. Like If they actually showed the heroes 
picking dead people out of the rubble because they've killed people in the carnage of the fights of Sokovia and New York. And they actually showed the damage that was going on. You, it, was, it was all ancillary where you, you kind of knew what the setup was going in. So they didn't really show you any of that. Oh, and I even feel like within the movie, other than Captain quickly saying it one time, the only reason he was fighting against this is because of his little boyfriend, Bucky. He once said, well, what if we get don't get sent to the right mission? Or what if we get sent to a mission we don't want to be in? He said that one line, one time. Tony, the whole time, was like, no, this is why we're doing it. This is why we're doing it. It's for the government. It's for the government. It's for people's safety. Captain said it one time. That's the whole this whole argument. I'm like, is it really because of Bucky? Is he that adorable that we need to save him? I don't I just didn't. I don't understand where, yeah, there wasn't a moment where we, we see them picking people out of the rubble. We don't, we don't see, we saw Scarlet Witch watching it on TV and looking sad. It just, it, it's, they, like you said, they expected us to know this and they expected us to feel this way. And I don't think that's how movies should work. Captain, his moral ground on this, I believe, is that they were going, they're on a shoot to kill mission for Bucky. And I know that, and this is what makes you think about the film is Bucky. The winter soldier is a really bad guy. Like he killed JFK. He killed Tony Stark's parents. He's killed a long line of people as this winter soldier. And yet cap still feels like there's some good in him. So we have to save him a la Darth Vader ish. And so I get where he's coming from, but like you said, it does lose the whole two sides of like, government control, anti-government, when all he's trying to do is save Bucky. Yeah, it, it was it was kind of a big problem because I didn't mind them turning against each other. Um, not to compare it to another movie, but I do think their rivalry, it, it seemed more organic than what they did in like a Batman v Superman. So I was like, okay, cool. And then it started wearing off very quickly when it just became captains wanting to save Bucky. And I'm like, okay, I get it. This is your last remaining hope. And this is the last thread to what you had before. But you can't keep mentioning Brooklyn to this kid and expect him to stop snapping necks. That's not how brainwashing, like, that's not how this works. And, yeah, it, it was weird. But, I, you know, even for you, I don't want to keep bashing the movie because I know you liked it. So we can talk about things we really did like because I really like Black Panther. I needed 85% more of that guy because he, his martial arts was great. Oh, so good. No, I thought they did a really good job with Black Panther. I enjoyed I actually enjoyed how they introduced him into the universe and how he was kind of a rogue state for a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, and then all the fights in the first meeting. I you know, you talk about not liking the humor when but when Captain America's like, I don't know, there's some other dude in a superhero suit on the roof and everyone's like, Who is it? I don't know. Like I I like that like first introduction of heroes and how they meet and stuff. Oh, I like I said, I don't mind the humor when it. I feel it's it's in a place like that. When I think forgot someone was just like, is he in a cat outfit? And it was just so quick and so funny. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. That was that was a good joke. So yeah, I don't mind. It. And I thought that was a good introduction. I think he was handled very well from the get go. And I think from the second that uh, Black Widow calls him Your Highness, it gave him this this importance. And I and I really feel like they did that so amazingly. The Russo brothers did not need to introduce him as well as they did. That's not going to be their movie. That's not going to be their bread and butter later on. And they handled him so nicely. So I really, really respect them for doing such a great job with that. Let's talk about the Russo brothers for a little bit. 
I don't think there's another director right now that could have handled that many heroes, that many subplots, that many introductions, and still pulled off a cohesive film. No, I 100% agree with you. I don't think, I think that was my favorite part of the whole movie was how well the directors did. Of I've seen people have, look at the Spider-Man villains. As soon as you get three villains in one movie, they have no idea what to do. The Russos had like 13 superheroes and we're like, yeah, we got this. And I, that was so awesome. It was not one person shined more than they needed to. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a Captain America Iron Man movie. It's them two facing. No one needed to overshine them. And I'm really glad that they, they balanced everyone. I think Ant-Man had great scenes, but he didn't steal the show. I don't think Spider-Man, I think Spider-Man had great scenes, but I don't think he stole it. And I think, I think it's awesome that they can juggle that many people at one time because that's ridiculous. No, that's that's like the total amazement of this film is how many moving parts are in this film. And I think there's a review that said there are so many moving parts. It shouldn't work, but it works. And structurally, it does from just filmmaking of putting it all together. I loved how the Russo brothers used amazing like 70s fonts to introduce places and time and what was going on. There was there's so many cinematic elements that were amazing in this film that just, that's where I, I love it. I'm just like sitting there glowing with it. Uh, one thing I heard is that people thought the fight scenes were really choppy. I would recommend you do not see this film in 3d 3d fucks up films all the time. I, I didn't feel it was choppy. Um, I, my major complaint visually is I think the CG was really bad at times. I started noticing it in the commercials. It was a uh, one time when Captain's just like talking to Iron Man. You can see it in the trailer when he's just like, yeah, no, we don't need to do introduction. And it looked like he was on an obvious green screen. And I was like, okay, it's a trailer. And it looked like that in the movie. There was a scene where Captain and Winter Soldier were fi- like running away from something. And it looked straight out of the like Batman 1966 cartoon. It was so out of place. Um, but on the opposite side, I loved, like you said, the fonts they did to introduce. I, I, I think they, they added really good cinematic elements, but kind of fell back on some other parts. I See, for me, and Batman versus Superman, and we're going to compare these all the time because that's just how it's going to go down. Batman versus Superman had a super cartoony element to it, that Zack Snyder cartoonish element to it. And there were mm-hmm. certain times where like the CGI and that was just obviously bad. And and this had I think green screen issues where yeah. I, I don't I don't know how you do that nowadays. Like how like that one scene where you see Captain America and Bucky running from an explosion, I was like, you can see the green in Bucky's hair. I'm like, what is what is going on? Who let that slide? Like, just you could have just not had that scene in it. You could have just had an explode. Like, it's just, if it yeah. looks that bad, why is it in there? But I feel like that's I don't know. Is that nitpicking? If you that one scene, because for me that was the one scene that that stood out to me. You talked about in Germany. I know. I definitely know. In the trailers, the CGI looked horrible when they're coming together in Germany because they had to take out. Ant-Man, they had to take out Spider-Man or they had to put him in. So it wasn't the final piece. On screen, I think it looked good. So maybe you visualized the trailer when you were watching it and you already had that in your head. Maybe, but I do I do feel like a, some of that wasn't 
as clean. But then there was the times that I thought every time, because I know a lot of Black Panther's fight scenes were strings and a lot of CG. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there was a, a problem with green screen, not special effects, which is very rare in movies nowadays because we've gotten so far with green screen looking movies like Lord of the Rings and all that. And they've gotten so far where I felt this one was like a, like a it was a digression in what we've done with green screen but yeah because visual effects and cg wasn't the worst worst because like i said all of black panther's fight scenes look so smooth spider-man looked really cool but yeah there was a moment actually when spider-man picks up a car or gets a car thrown at him and i thought it looked really wonky that's what i'm saying i do think i noticed some of what was in the trailer into the movie but i do think there was some things that's kind of justified because watching it again you'll see some of that that like Germany fight scenes, not as clean as it should be for, especially for the budget they had. Yeah. But what they're trying to accomplish is something that's never been done before. Uh, yeah. And I guess that's a good excuse, but oh, uh, it's I not just... an excuse. I mean, like it's, if this movie was made in the nineties, like this would have been hilarious to watch. Oh, I agree a hundred percent. My question is, is wh- where do we, where's the transition from, live action to cartoon to CGI, like how, where are, should our expectations be? My thing is I don't want to be taken out of the cinematic experience. I want to be put in it. And for me, there was one scene that took Mm -hmm. me out of that experience. And that's when, when Bucky and Cap are running. But as far as like nerding out, giant man looked awesome when he became giant man the webbing for Spider-Man, oh my god, it was so good! Like when it they looked like webbing. It was the, it was the, you know what? It kind of not even in a bad way. And I'm going to compare it to something weird. You know when you get that, like the Halloween webbing, and if you can spread it out, it had such good texture, like something like that did. And you can see that in a movie, which was something I was really surprised as, like how how weird and like, interesting it looked. And that it's a very complicated thing because I actually used to try to draw it, and I. Watch Todd McFarlane videos hours upon hours because he was the first person to kind of reinvent the webbing of Spider-Man. And it's the webbing that you use now in comic books. That is your short lecture on Spider-Man's webbing. But no, it is so complicated and it's so intricate. And to see how they did it in this film, I was very excited for the Spider-Man film, which has a lousy title, Spider-Man Homecoming, that comes out. Yeah, um, something this movie definitely did was sell me on Spider-Man solo film. Uh, Tom Holland ate up all the screen time he got. He held his own with someone like Robert Downey Jr. Because they have a little scene together when, you know, Tony's trying to get him to go. I loved that. I thought that was such a good scene to see someone as young as he is keep up with someone as established and as such the screen presence as someone like Robert Downey Jr. I loved it. I can't wait for his movie. And Marissa Tomei. It's such a cool looking at me. You know, there was kind of a joke even before the movie came out. I was like, oh, she's too young. She's too attractive. And they made that joke in the movie. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay. Good job. Yeah. When Tony Stark is trying to have sex with Aunt May, I, that, I, oh, man, that bothers me in so many different ways. But I'm still like, ah, oh, it's, ah, oh, it's, it's, that's my Spider Man baggage that I bring to the table that I'm just, I'm never going to get over with. But I do really like Marissa Tomei. I think it's going to be an amazing film. I have so many high hopes for this film. I really liked Tom Holland as Peter Parker. I'm still confused with them giving him a New York accent because this is me talking about it is in the cartoons and in my head. They never gave him a New York accent. It makes sense that he has a New York accent because he lives in the city, but 
it's still, you know, all the people around the world that have ever read or watched Spider-Man, he doesn't have a New York accent. So it always, it's a little abrasive the first time you hear it, that he has a, a thick New York accent. No, I, um, I noticed it too. And I, I, it kind of was like, wait, oh yeah, he does live in New York. Um, but I, I think that's something I noticed with this and maybe him being from Queens and him having a New York background seems like it's going to play more of a bigger part in this than it ever has before. Cause even he had a scene where he like talks to captain and he's like, Oh, Queens. And captain's like, Oh yeah, Brooklyn. And it was just like, Oh shit. Like it was such a funny, cool call out for New York. And I definitely think the Spider-Man's going to be far more New York influenced. That's, that's his home. That's where he's mm-hmm. from. That's what he, I, well, the way they drew him or drew his family and drew his house back in the day, it was kind of like a single family home. And that doesn't really exist in New York these days. I mean, you got apartment. I love that he was in an apartment. I love that he was a dumpster diver. They they hit on so many notes for Spider-Man and set up his character to where he's kind of like poor, a little slumming it, you know, self-builder, all these things. And then you introduce Iron Man and it kind of blows all those things out of the water. And that's me thinking about continuity because I'm like, if your friend's Iron Man, can't you just be like, hey, dude, can I have a million bucks because I need some shit? And he's like, yeah, whatever. Here's 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 my credit card. Go have fun. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I loved how they how they introduced him to Iron Man. It's like, yeah, I'm going to give you a makeover. I'm going to make you a wee bit better. It was funny. I thought it was a, it was a good way of handling that. And I, I, I'm glad they, they, get a, they did a good way of how, like, Tony's like, yeah, I kind of heard about this kid. And, like, I, I, they handled him so well. Like I was saying, the Russo brothers didn't allow their introduction of Spider-Man. Because even more, I think he, his introduction is far more important than something like Black Panther. As much as I like Black Panther... Spider-Man's coming with a huge fan base and a lot of expectations and the Rooster Brothers lived up to that. And I think it's I can compare what they did with Spider-Man to how I feel about Wonder Woman and Batman v Superman where this wasn't her movie and this wasn't his movie, but this made me far more excited for their solo movie than I ever expected. No, Spider-Man is the most popular character out there. Like he's more popular than Superman, he's more popular than Batman. Spider-Man is the most popular superhero out there. And to kind of shoe, not, I, they did shoehorn him in because I don't think he was originally in this film. I don't know who they were originally going, who he was originally going to get to help out, but I don't think he was originally in this film and then they were able to work out the deal and then they did reshoots and put everybody back in and made things work because most of it's CGI. And, and think about, you know, who they kind of worked with and, and how it works. So I could totally go back and rewrite and reshoot this stuff and, and make it all work. The Russo brothers, like you said, had to shoehorn this guy in and did an amazing job. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. And they, they shoehorned even like a black Panther introduction and very, I I'm so impressed with the direction far more than anything else in this film. And I think that's something I've never complimented a Marvel movie on was, while your direction, because usually they, like we were talking about last podcast, they get very little known directors who they can kind of push around and do what they want, which is fine. That's just how a big major studio is going to work. Where this was the first time that I'm like, wow, directors were far more important to me than characters were. And the direction was amazing. It's like we said, handling all the characters, introducing characters, handling this kind of convoluted plot that we have to sum up. 13 movies before this into this one. It was cool. It was, it's, yeah, I'm really happy with the direction. People mentioned that the film was slow in the beginning. I never thought the film was slow. I always thought it was well-paced throughout the whole entire thing. Agreed. 
I enjoy the conversations in the beginning with the characters and where they are, where they, because for me, I haven't seen these guys in two years or however long it's been. I'm like, all right, I'm just excited to see people and have their conversations. And that I, I mentioned Brian Michael Bendis all the time because he's the one who kind of invented this kind of coffee talk with the Avengers where they sit around and they're just like bullshit about stuff. And it creates a whole new character structure element to these guys. And I really enjoy it. I didn't think I would when I was reading it the first time. I was like, why are they sitting around the table? They should be blowing up shit. You know, <laughs> but I really enjoy the conversations because you kind of get a little bit more of who is who and what's going on and and hopefully what their influences are. Yeah, my only problem with the intro is to kind of dip into spoiler territory is they got rid of Crossbones very fast. Um, he was another one that I thought could have been being pushed around by Zemo um, a little bit more. But yeah, I like I like the slowness of the intro. I thought. It was the best way to establish all of the mayhem we were going to do. That was my biggest fear, was the movie was going to be two and a half hours of nothing but action, which I know people want that from superhero movies, but I want a reason to care about the fighting. And they did a decent job with giving me some kind of introduction. If you want two and a half hours of action, you should just watch a Zack Snyder film. And see, I don't think... I don't Buzzing. I, I was like, I don't agree with that at all. I honestly think Zack tries to... tries to make us think peace heavy movies as he can as fluffy and beautiful as they are like Watchmen is so pretentious and there's so much dialogue. Same thing with Batman V Superman. There's more dialogue than there's fight scenes. Okay. One, one. Okay. We got to go back to this. Okay. One, Michael Bay is probably the guy you want to watch for a two and a half hour action film. And and that's what he's going to give us hopefully because he's producing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles too. But Zack Snyder, you talk about Watchmen. You talk about your love of Watchmen. He just read a book and was like, I want to make this verbatim. Isn't that what all comic book fans usually want? Because as much as people complain about, oh, there's no source material, they went away from it. And then he did it one time as much as he tried to stuff in all of the Watchmen in that one movie and people complained. And I'm like, then what do we want as comic fans? Do we want to be completely different and new or do we want source material? And so that's a funny debate, which is that was my problem with Civil War is I love the source material. I think that that comic is so important. And even, like you said, it doesn't kind of relate to times now. Still seeing it adapted would have been awesome. And, eh, you know, but, you know, Zack Snyder likes to take literal stories and change them just just enough to where, like, he did with Death of Superman. He did with The Dark Knight Returns. I love that. And, yeah, I really kind of wish Marvel stuck to source material more. I feel like the, the, the biggest gripe is... I'll use G.I. Joe as the best example because uh, before my comic book days, there was G.I. Joe. And before G.I. Joe, there was Godzilla. But that's my history of pop culture growing up as a kid. Came out of the womb, grabbed the Godzilla, loved monsters. <laughs> then I went straight to G.I. Joe, then went to comic books. But when the first G.I. Joe film came out, they totally rewrote it to fit a global audience so that they could make money. Mm-hmm. And this is the problem with films and a film you know, produced by Disney is they're trying to hit a global audience and they're trying to please everyone. And you end that you end with a watered down product and that's, you can't do that. And it's, I, I, one of these days Hollywood's going to realize that they don't need to do that. But again, I also understand it when you're forking over 250, $250 million or, or for the Avengers film, you're forking over a billion dollars for a film of course you're going to micromanage the shit out of that. And you're going to be like, I don't know. That's a risky decision because you're investing 
a billion dollars. I, I understand it. It doesn't make a good product. It's Yeah, I'm not dumb enough to know. I'm not dumb enough to think that this is they should worry about art more than money. I know this is a business, but as an artist, first and foremost, I do try to think of what's going to make a more interesting and impactful product than what's going to make the most money. So I do have to like turn my brain off when I like debate this because I'm like, ah, money, money doesn't make a good movie and money shouldn't. But at the same time, that money is what's going to get it shown. So yeah, it's like it's such a hard give and take. We're approaching the hour mark on this podcast. Final thoughts on Captain America: Civil War? Um, like I, I've said it a million times, I didn't love it. Um, but I didn't hate it as much as I thought. It, it had some really good perks. It had great Black Panther, had a great Spider Man, and had that really awesome airport scene. And that's kind of only my only praises, really, because then the rest just falls into it's just another Marvel movie. Oh man, for me, Paul Rudd's Ant Man stole the show. Spider-Man's dialogue and how they introduced him was spot on. And I cannot give enough praise to the Rooster Brothers for keeping a cohesive story together with such a huge cast. And my nerdgasm for the show, for the film, was when Giant Man became big on the screen for the first time, especially on a big screen watching Giant Man run around. I was like, oh my God, I thought I'd never see this. And I, I saw it. The bad, always the film had a chance to be great, but Marvel played it safe. The villain's an afterthought. It would have been amazing if Zemo was the Red Skull and that was that final turn at the end. And that would have just blown the doors open. You'd be like, holy shit. I gave it an eight and a half out of 10 stars. You gave it a five out of 10? Yeah, I gave it a five out of 10 because those five points for, for a great direction and an amazing budget. But as a movie, it's just, it's not my type of movie. And I know it isn't. And I, and that's cool, but I love seeing movies. So I'm always going to watch them. As much as I don't like them, I love watching a movie and I love watching awesome nerdy stuff get shown on a big screen. So that's cool. But yeah, yeah, I give it a five. There you have it. That is our Captain America Civil War review. I thought we were going to have some time off from the superhero films, but I was so excited to open up my email yesterday and find out that on Monday we are going to go see X-Men Apocalypse. So next week we are going to review X-Men Apocalypse. Oh my God. Are you excited for this film, EJ? Yeah, um, you talk about the X-Men was my introduction to anything. I saw the X-Men animated series as a kid and fell in love. That was it, it opened the world of like how awesome it can be. Comic books can be. So, yeah. And then to see something like the X-Men Apocalypse, where I get to see characters I've waited like for like Psylocke. And I have such a crush on Jubilee. I've always liked her horrible firework hands. And to see her in a movie, I'm so excited for stupid stuff like that. And Oscar Isaac as Apocalypse looks cool. I don't care about the Ivan Ooze comparison. He looks awesome and he's going to be the shit. Yeah, I'm super excited for Apocalypse. EJ, you have a great weekend. I will talk to you on Monday. Yep, talk to you on Monday. Thank you very much. Hey, Matt, we survived another episode. Oh, no! Once again, there are several ways to continue the conversation after the show. Follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots. You can look at all our silly photos on Instagram at monkeys fighting robots. You can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Sardo. My co-host EJ is also on Twitter at EJ Christ with a K. The biggest compliment we receive is when the subscriber number goes up on SoundCloud. If you have a chance, we would greatly appreciate a review of our show on iTunes. All you Android users out there, listen to the show on Stitcher. Additionally, there's this great app called TuneIn. Listen to the entire 
world of radio stations plus the Monkeys Fighting Robots podcast. Okay, Lunchbox, let's try this again. There are so many people that made the 73rd episode of Monkeys Fighting Robots a success. Special shout out to my co-host EJ Marino for putting up with me. God knows it's a really tough task. Jeff Shade is the creator of our amazing intros and outros. Jessica Wynn designed the Monkeys Fighting Robots logo. Are you a monkey? Are you a robot? The staff at Visual Realm built our website and keeps us up and running. To all my friends, family, and the interweb, thank you very much for joining us for this episode of Monkeys Fighting Robots. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.